Christmas vibes. Uh, some people really, really look forward to Christmas and others dread it. Some people are very excited and they get swept up into all of the uh, cultural cheer and the nostalgia and the feels and all these things. And it's a, just a very exciting time for them. And others, it is not an exciting time at all. It's a very difficult time. Uh, some hear uh, it's the most beautiful time of the year, come on the radio, and they think, yes. And then others, they look at the Grinch and all the emotions that rise up in him during the Christmas, and they're like, that guy gets it. <laughs> that guy gets it. Cuddly as a cactus, charming as an eel, could be my autobiography. I, I, there's a wide range of these things, and it's because, of course, um, culturally speaking, the Christmas is about family and friends and love and all these kinds of things, which is beautiful, no doubt, uh, but for a lot of people, Christmas being about family and friends is not good news at all. It's very, it's, it's anxious news. And uh, so as we look at this theme of joy uh, today, this morning, um, we're going to see that it is a beautiful theme that's from the first page of your Bible to the last page of your Bible, that joy is not a Christmas cliche, that joy for the Christian is something that is deep, that it is rich, it is woven into the biblical narrative. And uh, this is good news for us, of course, because uh, our joy is not hanging by its fingernails on the fragility of the moment or of the situations, because as we all have experienced this last year of 2020, uh, what's going on can change drastically from moment to moment. And so we need a joy that is uh, uh, much more profound, much more deep and rich. and much more stable in a world that is uh, increasingly unstable. And so as we look at the Bible um, this morning to explore joy, we're going to do the same thing we've done the last couple of weeks where we, we see how it is that God has been moving since the beginning uh, towards us in ways that we often hear at Christmas, love, hope, and today joy. It, the first page of your Bible, you find that God is dancing over his creation with joy. That's what it means when in the Hebrew, Genesis chapter 1, that, that poetry describing creation. It says it was very good, it was very good, it was very good. That, that repetition of it was very good, God saying it was very good, is, is a dance of joy. It's not a divine clipboard where he's doing quality control. He's dancing with joy over his creation. That, of course, doesn't last as man falls into sin. The entire Bible can be broken up into three movements. The the joy at the beginning, which is the creation uh, resulting in the fall of damnation. The second movement is God's response, which is redemption. How God moved through millennia to make sure that that first Christmas day happened. And the joy of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the coming of Christ. That's the second movement of redemption. And then the third and final movement comes after the atoning death and divine resurrection of Jesus. The, the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus moves our vision forward to the joy that has at the end of the Bible that you find at the last page of the Bible, where just as Jesus Christ was raised physically and materially, this world will be restored physically and materially. We will be risen uh, from death by the power of the Holy Spirit physically and materially. And in the end, it's joy. And so as we uh, consider these things, we see that joy is this soul-lifting byproduct of focus and trust. And the question throughout the scriptures is always, where do you place your focus? Where do you place your trust? So our text for this morning is Luke chapter 1. And we're going to look closely at Mary, who sings for joy 
And may the good news of the same gospel cause us to sing for joy. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was troubled at the saying, and she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age and has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who has been called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days, and she went to the hill country with haste to a city of Judea, of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke out with a loud voice, and she said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why has this been granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told to her from the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and his holy name he, is, he has mercy on those who fear him generation after generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to help his servant Israel for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made for our fathers to Abraham and his children forever. Glory to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. So as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. This is God's Word. Now this morning, we're going to look on this great song of joy, and we're going to trust that the same gospel is going to flood our hearts with the same joy. We're going to look this morning at the promise, and the presence, and the power um, in Mary's song. And we're going we're going to explore how united to Jesus Christ by grace and faith, this same promise, the same presence and power floods our hearts with joy. Now Mary understood that nobody was going to understand or believe her predicament, her situation. Nobody was going to understand or believe that she was pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. But if there was one person who could understand it, it would be Elizabeth, another woman who was not supposed to be pregnant, who was elderly and barren, 
So Mary makes a trip to visit Elizabeth. And those of you uh, women who have had uh, the pleasure of, of becoming pregnant and having a child, you know that there comes that moment when you want to share that, this incredible news. And of course, with Mary, it's like, who could I possibly tell? And she can't text her, hey, Liz, what up? So she, she goes uh, to visit Elizabeth, which is the equivalent of finding out you're pregnant and then walking to Lakeshore Boulevard. That's what Mary did. And so as she heads there, you know, the Holy Spirit comes upon Elizabeth and gives her grace and gives her faith. And her response to Mary is, what did I do to deserve that the mother of my Lord would come? The Holy Spirit is there. It grants faith. Elizabeth is, of course, uh, giving birth to John the Baptist. This is a supernatural, mysterious moment as uh, Mary walks in and John the Baptist leaps in Elizabeth's womb. It's, and it's uh, just absolutely tremendous moment here. Alea Peister is uh, from Biola University and she speaks of Mary's um, situation in this way. She says, we seem yearly to forget the simple dailiness of Mary's yes. At every step across her house, her neighborhood and her nation, Mary will assent to the life of the living word within her. Her soul is like an everlasting door that's being kept wide open before the king of glory, however he may choose to come. So God sets his favor on Mary. And when he does that, and you find that in verse 30, it enables her to have this humble, childlike faith. This, this childlike response comes from Mary. <clears throat> and she says, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the stakes are high. I mean, think about the implications for her life. Of course, she's in a culture that uh, did not give dignity to women. They saw women as property. She's in a culture where if you had become pregnant out of wedlock, um, she could be stoned for adultery against Joseph, her betrothed. The stakes are incredibly high. The stakes are unfathomably high. And Mary's response is nothing short of, of divine. Because what we find is that trust is the pathway to peace. Trust, uh, Mary exhibits this great trust in God and it is the pathway to her peace. And so she sings this song and uh, you've heard it referred to as the Magnificat and uh, Mary's Magnificat, that's Latin for my soul magnifies. And that's how she opens it up. And you know how at Christmas time you've got your Christmas playlist, right? We have Christmas playlist we play here at the house. You probably have yours. Put all your favorite stuff in there. That Christmas playlist is not generally brought out, you know, in June or July, unless you're a crazy person. You, you have different playlists you play during the year because there's certain vibes for certain moods. When you, go to the, when you go to the gym or you work out, you've got a workout playlist. Or if you're in the car, you've got your driving mix. You've got all these different songs for certain moods. When, when Mary opens up in song and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, I need you to know something, friends. She is lifting this song. It's actually a song from another woman in the Old Testament. First Samuel chapter two, it's Hannah's song. Hannah was a woman who was barren and wasn't able to um, have children. And God, by his great grace, enabled her to do so. And she gives birth to Samuel and she sings a song of great deliverance. So you see Mary, this young woman, she's an excellent theologian. Mary is full of the word of God. In fact, if you break down the song of Mary, I'm not going to do it this morning, but if you break down the song of Mary, there's 11 or 12 
Old Testament references that she has in there. So what what comes out of Mary is this great song. She's like, what song would be appropriate for this moment? What's the vibe? Oh, I know what the vibe is. Deliverance. I know a girl who sang a song of deliverance uh, in our in our uh, history, and her name was Hannah. And so Mary opens up and she sings this amazing song of deliverance. Mary was a woman who studied God's word and the scriptures were in her heart. And uh, you moms know that you, um, there, there's uh, a lot of studies done on, on uh, the, the, the impact of reading and singing and talking and all of the emotions of the mother and the impact that has on, those young, uh, on the young unborn in your womb. And so you often will give a lot of care to um, it, the things that you do during your preg- pregnancy. Well, in the words of uh, the Anglican theologian uh, John Trapp, he said that Mary had made her womb Christ's library. It's just the way in which she loved the Word of God and meditated on the Word of God. And here, this text we just read this morning, she bursts out in song and she's singing the Word of God. It's just absolutely tremendous. In verse 42, uh, Mary, though her and Joseph are very poor, and we know that because when they give their offering at the temple, it's the offering of the poor. Um, they, there's provision in the law for people who couldn't afford to tithe, couldn't afford uh, the temple tax. And so Mary and Joseph offer the poorest of the offerings. So we know Jesus is born into poverty. But despite Mary's poverty, in verse 42, she calls herself highly privileged. Now, then Mary does exactly what people of privilege ought to do. Humbly magnify the Lord. Consider themselves servants of the Lord. Consider whatever privilege that they have given to them to be used for the purposes of the Lord. Mary could have, think about it. She, she, is, she is not a person of, of renown. And then and she has an angelic visitation and she's told that she is highly favored by God. And she does not use this privilege to exalt herself and to have prestige over others. Mary knows that she has been given this privilege specifically because through her, Christ is going to bless others. That She sees this entire moment as seeing herself as a servant, a servant of others. She calls herself a servant of the Lord. It is beautiful. In verse uh, 47, she says, uh, my spirit has rejoiced in my God, my Savior. You know, Mary knows that like the rest of us, she's a sinner that needs a Savior. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, because Jesus was divine, he's born sinless. Mary knows she's not sinless. She confesses it right here. And yet, though like the rest of us, Mary was a sinner in need of a Savior, I want you to notice the dignity, the honor, the language of God's messenger. He comes to her and he says, highly favored one, right? In the Greek, that phrase is kexartomene, which could also be translated, uh, highly bestowed with undeserved grace. And this nature of undeserved grace is, is so important for all of us as believers because we know that uh, saving grace is not offered to the deserving. Mary's posture in this moment is that she's not deserving. You and I know that the only reason we're on this call, gathered together as the modern diaspora all across Kitchener, Waterloo, and 
kind of the surrounding area to worship this morning, we know we're, we're gathering because uh, of God's grace that we're not deserving. There, is, there are no deserving. If you are joining us this morning and you're exploring Christian faith or you're, or you're new to the Bible, you need to know that um, you know, God's, God's grace is not for the deserving because undeserving are the only kinds of people that there are. And um, there, are no, you know, there are no back of the tree ornament Christians. You know, we put up our tree uh, this week and we've got all of these ornaments on here that the kids picked as they were kind of growing up. We've got a, kind of a 15-year history of, of ornament picking here. And so they're hilarious. And every year as the kids put them up, uh, they have a story behind the reason they picked these ornaments. And some of them got to, got to go to the back of the tree. The reason they got to go to the back of the tree is because you only have so much real estate. And so you want to showcase the ones that you like the most and the ones that you're embarrassed by or you don't really like or you kind of regret that you picked when you were six years old. You put it at the back of the tree. Here's one of our uh, back of the tree ornaments mm -hmm. right there. And it's our, our whole family, our mice for some reason. And uh, so this one goes to the back of the tree quite simply because we find it embarrassing. Now, there are no back of the tree Christians. In the same way that uh, God comes to Mary and she is highly favored, though she herself knows she needs a savior. Uh, God comes to you and I in his great grace and we receive him knowing that we need a savior. God is not embarrassed by your eye. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have done. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ and you trust in him and you are baptized in his name, then you are God's child and he loves you and it's important for those of you who are exploring Christian faith this morning to know that. That Jesus looked at the Pharisees, who were the Bible scholars of the day, and he said, you know, prostitutes are getting in before you guys. And the reason Jesus said that is not because he has a problem with being a Bible scholar or studying the scriptures. He said that because they thought they were deserving because of their knowledge of the scriptures. And the point of the gospel, the point of Mary's encounter is that none of us are deserving. And yet, she has this uh, beautiful and incredible moment where she humbly calls herself a servant of the Lord. And so as the text moves on, Gabriel says to Mary, the Lord is with you. And when we read that, this is profound because that's not just spiritual, it's literal. And I want you to marinate on this for a little bit. It's, it's not just spiritual, it's going to be physical. Mary, unlike any other previous temple, becomes God's temple. Mary is the first living temple, the dwelling place of God. Mary foreshadows Christ's church, that we are all living temples, that we are all the dwelling place of God. So when you read this, this undeserved grace, the favor, the welcome that was given to Mary, united to Jesus Christ by grace and faith, these things belong to you. God moved through human history for millennia, to make sure this moment happened, to make sure that the, uh, that the conception and birth of Jesus would come because the birth of Jesus was the beginning of the end of sin and death. Mm -hmm. And so in this text, we find some, some very stark contrasts. The disobedience of Eve contrasted with the obedience of Mary. That Eve was the mother of all human life. And God chose Mary to give birth to Jesus, to whom we would all receive eternal life. Eve distrusted God. Eve disobeyed God with Adam, bringing death to the human race. Mary trusts God. 
Mary obeys God, carrying the Savior, the second Adam, through whom his sacrifice would bring eternal life to the human race. In Genesis 3, it says, The seed of the woman will crush the enemy's head, and the enemy will bruise his heel. Well, here in Luke 1, Mary is chosen as that woman, and her seed will crush the enemy's head, and, on the, and that will happen on the cross as the nails are driven through his heel. And because Jesus crushed the enemy's head, Romans 16 tells us that the church, that the church, because of the God of peace, will crush Satan underneath our feet. And so between that day and this day, we have joy, and we have joy in the darkness. Now, having joy in the darkness is not spiritual stoicism. We don't suppress our sorrow. We don't just grin and bear it and tell everybody we're too blessed to be stressed and just fake it. Um, it's not any of that at all. That isn't good. That isn't healthy. That isn't helpful. Um, in fact, 2 Corinthians 6 tells us we can be full of sorrow and yet have joy. And so the reason, Redeemer family, that God calls you and I to joy in darkness is because darkness is not final. Deliverance is. Every form of suffering and oppression and evil and darkness that stems from humanity's rejection of God and his law is going to be is met in a reversal of God's gospel. In a glorious contradiction of what all of us deserve, God condescends and he incarnates himself and he comes in Jesus Christ to deliver us from our wayward worship. And that is what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And so Mary's song, it shows the futility of trusting in self, the futility of trusting in political power, the futility of trusting in riches. Listen to Mary's words. He has mercy on those who fear him generation after generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. The strength of his arm, by the way, is a Hebrew idiom. Strength of arm means salvation. So it's, he's, the, the song says he's shown his salvation. He's scattered the proud in their conceit. Conceit of what? He's cast down the mighty from their thrones, the trust in power. He has exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. Why? Because God doesn't like rich people? No. Because those who trust in their riches have chosen their salvation and it's futile. And so Mary's trust in God's promise of an inevitable, unstoppable deliverance of justice and mercy and a life of unending peace and prosperity, that was the catalyst for her joy. And that will be the catalyst for ours. And so as you are going about your week and you see the word joy plastered everywhere on your coffee cups and on Christmas cards and on sweaters and on banners everywhere, remember, Christian, that joy for us is not a cliche. Joy for us is not a seasonal greeting. Uh, for all who hope in Jesus Christ, our joy can never be extinguished. Yes, our joy can be diminished down to glowing embers because of what's happening to us. But our joy can never be extinguished by what's happening to us. Because the gospel has the power to rekindle our joy regardless of what's happening to us every time we reflect on it, every time we stop to cast our vision back to what Christ had, uh, had done in coming for us on his life, death, his resurrection, and forward to his return. So for those of you who are new to Christian faith and exploring this morning, the difference between tethering your joy to something that's temporal versus tethering your joy to something that is eternal makes all of the difference. You see, because if our joy is fueled by 
physical, financial, emotional, relational stability. There is nonstop threats to that stability. If you tether your joy to the temporal, COVID just took a year out of your temporal. You're not getting that year back. You see, for the Christian who trusts in not the temporal, but in the eternal, nothing can steal the joy. As we head into 2021, and there's all manner of conversation around what 2021 is going to look like as the vaccine comes and as the vaccine is rolled out, and those who are very hopeful about the vaccine and those who are skeptical about it, and there's this constant nonstop rhetoric inviting, uh, threatening to steal your joy. For us, what this means, Christian, is that uh, even if situations and circumstances catch on fire, even if the entire year catches on fire, what that does is not steal our joy, but it pushes us more deeply into the source of our joy. And I'm going to close with this. You know, there is an intention uh, in the timing of the Advent tradition. The church, in around the fourth century, they chose this time of the year very intentionally um, to celebrate the Advent. And it's because this is a time of year where there is palpable increasing darkness. And the physical darkness continues to encroach on all of our lives until the day of the winter solstice when the trend reverses. And the darkness reverses and the light increases. And so this Christmas, as you reflect back on the coming of Christ, the light that pierced the darkness, as you cascade your vision forward to Christ's return, when he will rid this world of all darkness, may the gospel flood your soul and give you hope in this present darkness. May the sadness of this year's past losses, griefs, anxieties, and the loneliness May it all be swallowed up as you anticipate celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, of whose kingdom there will be no end. Let's pray.